The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, episode number 20. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. We Steeler fans are experiencing shock, disbelief, outrage, despondency, and utter heartbreak. This is Tom coming to you from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and I am fortunate enough to have with me in studio Nick, who's come up from the South, be here live. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Not only it's did I horribly. come uh, come up from the south for this, but I guess I was in the Le'Veon Bell school of thought when I bought my plane ticket back to Houston for for next weekend after the assumed championship game. Um, bought that a little bit early. So there is so much to say about this game, even though neither one of us wants to relive it, let alone watch the video again. Right, there is so much to say, and I don't want to say any of it. I actually, no offense to you, it has nothing to do with you, but I don't want to be here right now. I want to just lock this away and never think about it ever again. Move to Montana, into the woods, avoid every television in the United States that's going to show the Jaguars playing the Patriots. It's like Satan playing his twin. Well, if you notice, Montana has an undefeated season. Well... They're doing well. Maybe we'll bandwagon there. Just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. Steelers, Steelers for life. Steelers for life so much that we will continue to be lifelong Steelers fans no matter what. And we are lifelong Steelers fans, so we can tell you firsthand, this is one of the worst losses, most disappointing losses in the history of the Steelers franchise. Yeah, it felt like the gun was loaded. Everything everything was aligned. Uh, there was every reason to hope for a Super Bowl this season. Yeah, colossal disappointment. And just... The Steelers, there's let's let's say there's three facets of the game, and I'm not counting special teams. Special teams is a very important part of football, and any real coach would tell you that because it has a ton to deal with field position, and then there's obviously these splash plays that occur throughout the course of the season, but special teams have a huge impact on the game. I digress, though, and tell you I'm going to split football into three categories, offense, defense, and coaching. Two of the phases of the Steelers had – so the most colossal failures we've ever seen, particularly on such a huge stage. And one of the one of the phases put on an absolute show that I would never forget and, unless I was trying to forget it, which I am going to try to forget. But just the, the loss to the Patriots on their first Super Bowl, when Bledsoe went for Brady in the championship, that was hugely disappointing for the Steelers because that team with Cordell Stewart at quarterback, they were also pretty primed for a Super Bowl, such a dominant defense. The Tim Tebow loss was brutal, mostly in the fact that it was so embarrassing <laughs> losing to a guy like that. But it turns out Tim Tebow is actually a better quarterback than the guy we lost to yesterday. And uh, yeah, just brutal. There's so much to say about it. We'll get more into it. We'll get into our themes. We'll get into our grades. But 
Jacksonville, very talented team, but the less talented team won. Well, let's get into the three themes of the game. The first one, we try to think of a, a, an eloquent way to say this, but the Steelers' defense is simply pathetic. Yeah, this defense needs to go down in history as just, who's the dude who, who missed the ground ball for the Red Sox? Bill Buckner, Buckner. something like that. If the, anybody listening in Boston right now, which is nobody, would go insane if we couldn't get that guy's in the first try because he's one of the most famous athletes in uh, in Boston besides Brady. Uh, there's that guy. Then there's the dude who caught the ball for the for the Cubs. He'll go down in, in infamy before they won their first World Series. You know, years back, the fan caught the ball out of the out Jackie of the Smith, Dallas Cowboys. Jackie Smith against the Steelers themselves, losing the the, the um. The Super Bowl for the Cowboys. Downtown Freddie Brown, Georgetown, North Carolina, 1983, down in the Superdome. First time I saw the Final Four, handed the ball to James Worthy. And now? He sells cars. And now we can add Cam Hayward and the Pittsburgh Steelers defense to the rest of the list. I don't want to throw Cam under the bus, but Cam laid a big fat goose egg on the stat sheet, and he's the guy that we usually say, we do have one good player. And it is Cam, but even he didn't do anything. The Steelers' defense is historically pathetic. Okay, we don't need the defense to win games. You have an historically excellent offense who played one of the greatest offensive games I think anyone's ever seen in the playoffs. And we're going to go into the to the numbers for that. Um, we'll get more into that later. But this defense, all we need you is to stop Jacksonville from scoring under 31 points. Okay, we'll give you... That the offense had the turnovers in that game, but oh my gosh, even if you take those away, the defense was mauled by probably one of the bottom three offenses in the whole NFL with a high school quarterback who threw to people who had coverage nowhere near them. Blake Bortles didn't complete a pass to a receiver with a defender in frame that whole game until, of course, one leapt over our first Mauled round by the Jaguars and leapt. Good. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's not really a metaphor. I mean, they, they are called the Jaguars, but. Well, theme number two, the Steelers allowed the Jaguars to dictate the game. Everything we could have done wrong, we done wrong. And Jaguars capitalized on it. Yeah, particularly from this, just the standpoint of overall game control. When we did our prediction show for this last week, we said there's really only one way that the Jaguars can win games against any team. And that's by they have to get turnovers on defense. They can't win unless they do that because they need the short field for Blake Bortles because they can't really sustain drives consistently over the course of a game if they have to score more than 20 points. Check on the turnovers. Not only do we have two, one of them got returned for a score. So free points that Blake Bortles doesn't need to make. The other thing is they need to build a lead. They built the lead 14-0, 21-0. So now the, the Jacksonville Jaguars can run their offense in the only way they know how. They only have two things that, uh, that offense can do. They can run the ball, and I don't mean effectively, but they but it's not a disaster when they run the ball. And they can throw play action passes to the flats. Short play action passes. They can't throw the ball downfield. They can't they can't like do trickanery, anything like that, like the Kansas City Chiefs do. They can't throw the ball play action and throw middle of the field. They can't do anything except for run the ball and throw it short off of a play action pass. And the only and we said the whole week, make Blake Bortles beat you. The Steelers didn't do that. They allowed the Jaguars to dictate the, the, the whole game. Blake Bortles, 
is still as bad as advertised. All he did was hit uncovered receivers all day, and he completed barely 50% of his passes, 14 completions. You just, hey, the offense got the team, offense and defense got the team into a hole in the first quarter. Obviously, it seemed like the game was almost over then. Which is a good segue to theme number three. The offense was legendary to come back from that, that hole. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be talking about... The, there was some dude on Twitter the other day who said the two... Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger had a good game, but the two biggest plays of the game were his interception and the fumble return for a touchdown. That is... No, duh. Genius. You point to the only two turnovers in the game, in, in a one-score game, and you call those the biggest plays? Well, yeah, dude, we know that. But what if Ben Roethlisberger didn't complete a 36-yard touchdown to Martavis Bryant... On fourth and eleven, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. That ja- giving the Jaguars thirty-one points with that anemic—it's actually not an anemic offense. It should be an anemic offense given its tools. Yeah, I mean they're terrible. The Jaguars on—I know I keep talking about their offense. We're, talk- we're supposed to be talking about our offense right now, but the Jaguars not only are bland on offense and have a terrible quarterback, but they just don't even have that much talent. The only person that you – they have no receivers. You can say their running back, Leonard Fournette, is good, but he's been hurt the whole second half of the season, so I'm not even necessarily counting him now. He doesn't even average four yards a carry. They don't have players. They don't have coaching. And they don't have a quarterback. And if you take away the two um, turnovers by the offense, you're right. The Jaguars still scored 31 points. Offensive line pushed the defensive line around. Oh, this yeah. Game. Uh, we keep, I, I keep, <laughs> we're trying to talk about how great the offense was for the Steelers because I think that's going to be something that is going to be overlooked in history. I mean, you, you lose. It's getting overlooked. But the numbers for Ben are astronomical. The, we'll, we'll get into more, those more later in the, in the game. But every opportunity after the slow start, and we do have some more to say about the slow start later, every opportunity the Steelers had like to make a huge play, they pretty much capitalize on all of them. I don't know many offenses. I don't think any other offense could have done what they did against that defense over and over again, making clutch plays. Ben's game was almost just about as good as the game he played against the Colts with the 522 yards and the six touchdowns. They were, and they're doing this against an all time great defense in Jaguars. At least the past 10 years. But you look up a lot of their major statistics, it's an all-time great defense. And then you just look at the guys, the amount of Pro Bowlers they have is laughable. They have multiple Pro Bowlers at every position. Line, linebackers, secondary. It's insane. And the Steelers' offense had their way with them. I think people want to point to like the two turnovers or whatever from the Steelers. And of course that played a massive factor in the game. Like we said, that sort of dictated the flow of the game but if you just took those two turnovers and you kind of threw them in the middle of the game and you said okay before this starts Steelers are going to score 42 points but they're going to have a fumble return for a touchdown and interception are they going to win I'm saying well yeah it's against the Jaguars 42 points that's unbelievable they still lose but offense particularly the killer bees was amazing in that game just too bad the defense sucks so badly so we uh, aren't doing our typical five pivotal plays. It's just too too much to muster. So we're, we're lucky. We were, we were considering not even preparing the statistics for this game. Um, let's go into the overview. I mean, what was clear to me is the rust. And I am not a believer in jinxes or momentum, typically, or the, the theory about 
Ben and uh, the Bees being out for two weeks, mm-hmm. the rest of the team being out for one week, but I believe it now. And I, I think that that more so than focusing on the Patriots was the co- was the cause of the deficit yeah. at the beginning. It's hard to argue. I mean, look how terrible they started out. And maybe we can try as this podcast goes along to get a little bit more positive. It would be great if we didn't have to get these out, you know, right after the game comes out. Because I'm, I can feel the venom coming out right now because I'm just trying not to talk about it. Well, I have the NFL Game Pass. I just keep watching the touchdowns, our touchdowns over and over again. They were awesome. They were beautiful. beautiful. And hopefully, you know, I'm sure you guys aren't listening to us to get more depressed. I'm sure you're feeling the same way. But you got to understand. Actually, I know you understand. This is brutal. We're commiserating here, but hopefully we'll, you know, we'll we'll take a, a more solid uh we won't depress you for the rest of the day. But honestly, no guarantees. Let me give you an overview just of the game and kind of what happened. You guys saw it, most of you I'm sure who are listening, but it just shows you exactly how many opportunities the Steelers had to get back in the game and exactly how unbelievable the offense played against such an incredible opponent to put us in those positions. It, it was I was saying when it was down 21-0 that we're going to need a miracle to win this game, but it's not over yet, okay? So basically, like you said, game starts, Steelers come out completely flat, stadium is out of control, noisy, the Jaguars go down on the first drive. Actually, you know what? It started on the first kickoff. It was the kickoff. Their kick returner, Corey Grant or whatever, their backup running back, he eventually kind of gets swallowed up around the 20-yard line or so, and he carries... Six or seven guys is a pile of Jaguars going for an extra five to ten yards. And it, it happens. I mean, we're looking back at it right now. And I remember that happening and kind of feeling like, uh, these guys seem pretty hyped up over there for Jacksonville. Well, the kick ends up on the 11. He's at the 21. He's at the 35. Okay, now I guess it's one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. T- Everyone except for Boz. And Cameron Sutton. I don't think Mike Tomlin's on the pal either. But you know what that looks like? If you look at that play again, notice it looks like a bunch of bees in a hive. Because they had completely ensconced him. He was not to be seen, and he just carried that pal. The hive was infiltrated, though, by some sort of small, white, and gold, disgusting helmet-looking stupid design of their helmet. Two freaking colors. Pick a color, jerks. It was The hive was infiltrated, so the bees were trying to get, you know... Maybe collapse the hive within on itself, but it was very unsuccessful. So that alone, you know, that's just, it, it was kind of weird. It's like, eh, that doesn't, I know that doesn't mean anything. That but was not the only strange. time they carried several Steelers downfield. So when it became solidified is when they went down the field six plays in a row on one of the, this is not hyperbole. I know we're going to be driving along the hyperbole highway today, okay? But this is a historically crappy offense for the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. They're just a historic team all, all the way around for good reasons and bad. But that was one of the worst drives you could have seen in the NFL all season. Basically, Blake Bortles threw a couple play-action passes to where there weren't Steelers defenders anywhere within the frame. They go down six plays with ease and score a touchdown on their first drive. You say, this is the team that scored 10 points last week because of luck to a crappy Buffalo team? This, this seems a little weird. Maybe you can write it off because it's a first drive. Some teams have a good script, but it felt weird that they were throwing, they were just running a Jacksonville offense, running these stupid little middle school play action passes to people out in the flats, and there wasn't anyone anywhere near him. It's That's like because we were worried about him going downfield. 
Right, because he's never done it before. So that would make sense that he would do that now. And that's what I'm saying. If they came out and he was throwing crosser routes at, at 20 yards, and throwing digs, and throwing post patterns and, and deep outs and these long, intermediate, professional quarterback type throws, that would have surprised me. And I would have given him credit like, wow, I had no idea they could do that. But nope, they just opened up and did the only thing that he can do, throwing to wide open receivers the whole time. The Steelers, scheme-wise and players-wise, they looked rusty. So game starts a little bit weird. Then Steelers get the ball back. They go three and out promptly, throwing a bunch of kind of weird little screens to the side, which almost seemed like Todd Haley or, was nervous or something. Like, you're, you're playing this big defense, so let me just get Ben a couple completions. I, I'm projecting this on him. But, but it was very strange that they threw a bunch of little screens to start the game. It reminded me of the first game of the season against Cleveland when they threw like six screens out of the first eight plays. And when you're playing against the Jaguars, that's their strength. You can't, they're too fast to run screens against them. They're too fast to run outside. So the Steelers go three and out. Now you're saying, oh crap. Well, guess what? Then the Jacksonville Jaguars get the ball again. And, uh. Four plays and out. Four plays and out. The Steelers actually stop them, right? Right. Okay. Steelers get the ball. Now, this is where we're talking about with field position. The Jaguars pin the Steelers down right near their own end zone. It gets the third down and long, which is, again, let's use the word ominous, because third down and long is when almost all five picks happened in the last game that we played them. Ben throws a pretty poor interception. He actually did look a little bit nervous that the ball kind of flew out there. Jaguars get it, boom, punch it in, score 14-0, and we're already thinking to ourselves, this is exactly what we painted as the picture of what can't happen. You can't give them free points like that, right? So you're starting to have the flashbacks. It goes three and out, and then the Steelers get the ball back again, start driving on the field a little bit, and fail on fourth down. Turn the ball over, Jaguars, boom, go down the field again, score 21-0 is the score. So it's a, it's a disaster. How are you going to come back from, from that, right? Well, Ben luckily leads the team down the field, throws a gorgeous pass to A.B., who makes an incredible one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Crowd goes wild. You get it to 21-7. And eventually, so so it's sort of, you're still within striking distance, but you're nervous because the defense wasn't stopping anybody the whole game. Steelers get the ball back with four minutes left in the half. Down by 14, and you know that they get the ball to start the third quarter. So it's, it's within reach. At this point, Ben gets sacked, fumbled, and the Jaguars return it for a touchdown. 28-7. So at this point... The whole Steelers team is a disaster. The offense is a disaster, and the defense is a disaster. And this is what speaks to your point about the rust. So how much can we blame that on Coach Tomlin for sitting people or not? I, I don't really don't know if you can. And we said back then that you know we weren't going to blame him for sitting the players, particularly with our experiences in the playoffs before no, I people think were you, injured. You can't, yeah, I mean, I believe in rust, but I also believe in uh, injuries too. So we had a right. perfectly intact team. Something about... Um, the game plan seemed off again. The, the play selection at the beginning just seemed tentative. Ben seemed tentative, but maybe the play selection was the thing that needs to be focused on. Yeah, there, there's one main weakness to the, to the Jaguars' defense. There really is only one. Um, well, there's two. There's the middle of the defensive line. If you run right at them, they have some trouble stopping that. They eat you up on the outsides and all those screens. You can't do that to them. And we weren't trying to exploit that at all on the first drive, so that was weird. And their their other their, so their one like weakness is runs up the middle. And their other weakness we found out is Ben Roethlisberger. But 
Anyways, Steelers sack fumble, 28-7. Then miraculously, with just a couple minutes left, the half's about to expire, Ben drives him down the field and throws that gorgeous touchdown. Great catch by Martavis on fourth and 11, 36-yard touchdown. We go into the half, 28-14, getting the ball back. So you get a play, make it, take it. And you know what happens? Next half starts, 10 plays, 77 yards, 19-yard touchdown pass to Le'Veon Bell. Boom. Steelers are down by seven. The disaster has been averted. It's so super clutch. The saran wrap is off. Now the Steelers are moving, doing whatever they want to do. Telvin Smith was all over Le'Veon Bell. He ran a wheel route into the end zone. Telvin Smith had his hand on the ball. It was a gorgeous throw by Ben. And Le'Veon still makes the catch, which leads me to say, pay the man. <laughs> pay the man wide receiver money. Plus. Whatever he wants. You know, they... Uh, 19, you know what? Give him a million dollars for every yard on that touchdown catch. Give him $19 million. We'll take it. I know they're not going to do that, but still, unbelievable play. And then right after that, here's kind of the big turning point in the game. The defense forces a punt. Imagine that. A team forces Blake Bortles' offense to punt. We should praise them for this, but really we shouldn't because that should be the, like, the most basic thing that you do. Force Blake Bortles to punt. He does it all the time. That's what they do. And this is kind of where the where the Steelers' offense squandered an opportunity. They drive all the way down to the Jacksonville 39, almost in field goal range, and they just fall apart. Two Le'Veon Bell runs for no yardage, and then an incomplete pass, and they have to punt. And then on the next drive, the defense. So this is the one kind of shining moment for the defense. That driver, they, you know, stopped them prior to this, and then they stopped them again after a little bit of a drive. And Bobby Golden blocks the punt. So the Steelers get the ball at the 50-yard line, down by seven. Three plays, get down to fourth and one, and that's when they throw, when Ben audibles and then throws kind of the intermediate pass to Juju, where Juju is actually, if you look at the replay, being held. Oh, his jersey was a good foot behind him, how bad he was being held. Playoff rules. Refs didn't catch it. Yeah, that's another thing. Playoff rules. Juju didn't catch it. Some people are really mad that Todd Haley didn't run the ball up the middle on that play. I can't argue with people being mad about that from the standpoint of I would I would like it if the Steelers could could just do that if it's fourth and one and you're playing the Patriots you're frustrated because you know they're gonna get, you know Tom Brady's gonna sneak it up the middle or if you were playing the Drumbetta Steelers you know you're gonna get one yard going up the middle so it'd be nice having stuff be that simple but I don't have that much problem with the play call even though Ben seemed to audible it because they scored. Two touchdowns on fourth down with long passes later this game. So you got to take the good with the bad, right? I don't. Yeah, I'm, no, we can't. You, you don't know what was considered in that, and they work as well, as many times as they don't work. And who's to say that Jacksonville doesn't plug up the middle? Right, and 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 I think the, I think running outside though that was questionable. That was terrible. So the fourth down that they tried earlier, they pitched it to Le'Veon Bell. He lost. Four yards on the play. Ridiculous. It was brutal. So that is on Haley. But this one, I think, is a highly talked about play where he got stopped on fourth and one. Um, it, like you said, those playoff rules, they play a big part in this. Refs didn't lose us this game. Obviously not. The refs uh, definitely had a reason for why we were playing this game instead of playing the Tennessee Titans because of what they decided to do to Jesse James in the uh, in the Patriots game. But I digress. That, that play is difficult, though, because... Even Peyton Manning kind of whined about it uh, before. That's when they changed the the rules for how far downfield 
um, wide receivers can be contacted by defensive backs was after Peyton Manning played the Patriots and they just manhandled his receivers. They got the rule changed and then now and that's why you see the, the corners can't really touch people. But it's interesting because once the playoffs come around, they let that stuff go. They let people play and there's a lot and it really favors a team like the Jaguars, who that's the whole strength of their team. So, granted, AB pushed off on his t- first touchdown too, but he's smooth. He doesn't get caught for those all year. So, I don't care what rules you use, just use the same rules all year, right? Agreed. So, at that point, you know, the defense had done their job. They had gotten two stops and they gave the Steelers offense two opportunities, one of them even on a short field, although that wasn't the defense, that was the special teams who blocked the punt. Let's. Not get that confused. And the offense didn't capitalize there. But anybody who wants to point to that as the reason why the Steelers lost the game is a moron. Because, I mean, what do you, what's the margin for error? You're playing one of the best defenses of all time with an offense for the Jaguars. That sucks. They're a bottom offense in the league. They scored 10 points against the Buffalo Bills who got into the playoffs on a technicality, basically. Because they got in the playoffs because of Andy Dalton. And these guys scored 10 points against them. This quarterback, Blake Bortles, completed 14 passes in the Steelers game. And the Steelers' offense gets to 42 points. How much more margin for error do you need? Yes, they had two turnovers and two times where they didn't score against one of the best defenses in history. And they had, what, seven other possessions where they scored touchdowns. So, But it is worth saying, if you want to tell the narrative of the game, those were opportunities that the Steelers had to get back and take the lead. And... I know you can't expect that out of the offense, but hey, it was fourth and one. It was right there. Whether you don't like the code, that's some coaching. Maybe that's some execution. Maybe that's Ben making the wrong read there. But that was a big part of the game because shortly after that, Blake Bortles throws a duck, a 45-yard duck to, I think it was Cole, the 10th round rookie wide receiver who went up in between our two players, including our quote-unquote number one cornerback, Artie Burns, who didn't even see the football. The Duke comes down with it inside the five-yard line, and the Jacksonville Jaguars promptly score, going back up by 14 points. It's 35-21. But the Steelers will not go away. Drive right down the field again, and on fourth and five plays, two long passes to A.B., another touchdown for Antonio Brown. Incredible touchdown to A.J. Bouye, who was actually riding on his back like a spider monkey. It's hard to miss that. That's what I don't understand. That has to be an intentionally um, omitted... <laughs> Non-call. Did because, they call it? Because we, I remember. Uh, actually, I take it back. I didn't see a flag. Right. When we right. went back to look at it, though. They list that as a, a the defensive penalty was called. So I respectfully withdraw my. He was hanging off hanging, of him. Right? Yeah. Never saw. A but flag, I didn't see though. the flag either. So I mean, I, I wonder. Maybe they they mentioned something about it. But um, again, there's so many chances for the offense to fold. And like I said, this is an amazing defense. Like you shouldn't be able to. If you miss your one chance, there's no way you're going to say, like, oh, well, we're going to go down and score on them again. And that's all the Steelers did. And all of the touchdown passes by Ben, most of them were long passes, like 20-yard type passes. All of them were great catches. And that's why I said the two A-B catches were ridiculous. Martavis's catch was his best play of the whole season by a mile. Maybe that one-handed catch against the Patriots. But but that was a really nice catch Marty had. And then the Le'Veon touchdown was beautiful too. All of them had guys right on them. But the throws were in were pinpoint. So it, it was just – and I don't I can't give the coaches a lot of credit for that success. I'm just looking at 
three Hall of Fame players and, and a guy who could have been a superstar in Martavis Bryant making unbelievable plays against all pros who are guarding them. Everybody who was guarding those guys was an all pro, whether it was Bouye or Ramsey or I don't know if Telvin Smith made all pro, but he's an amazing player. So I just got to keep pointing that out so people realize exactly how incredible the offensive performance was by the Steelers. So that glorious touchdown only to be followed by a uh, by another Jacksonville touchdown. Yeah, complete collapse. So the play, the straw that broke the camel's back was the defense finally got them in third and five. And once again, TJ Yeldon, the running back for the Jaguars, goes out into the left flat, third and five. You're about to get them off the field because ja- Blake Bortles struggles throwing the ball over four feet unless some nobody, you know, somebody's completely uncovered. He goes in the flat, uncovered. Just lobs the ball over to Yeldon. Yeldon runs for 40 yards. Gets them in a field goal range, so they're going to go up by 10 if they if they score. Um, yeah, so Willie Gay's playing in the middle of the field. It looks like he's trying to make a decision. The ball goes over to the flat. He starts going, then Artie Burns comes into the picture. But neither one, they are both inside of Yeldon. And Yeldon just takes no, it to the outside. Close. Yeah, inside and... 15 to 20 yards away from him. I mean, it was huge. People get, you know, people blow coverages, but I've never seen anything like I've seen in this game where there were no less than seven or eight times when there were people with not within 15 to 20 yards of the guy. I don't even know how you bunch all your players up like that. I mean, how does it happen? It happened again a couple plays later on the wide open 14 yard touchdown to their fullback. Where he was uncovered, he went up the seam. It's kind of that Kansas City play where they do a play action. They send the running back just straight down the center of the field and, and kind of deep. They threw it to O'Bannon. Is, is that him or is that the 10? I don't know. Who cares? He's a loser. They threw it to him, and he was uncovered, and he scored. So the Jaguars go up by 14. Uncovered, 42-28. to 28. There's the score. There's four minutes left in the game. Offense gets the ball back for the Steelers. 12 plays. 75 yards, and in, and probably the coolest TD we've seen all year. Two minutes and 18 left, and 18 seconds left when they score this touchdown. Ben, at this moment, had transcended the physical plane. He had ascended into a level of pure football genius. He was, I've never seen anything like this, and this is why, you know, the, the loss hurt even more because this guy, it was inspiring what he was doing. He's doing stuff I've never seen him do before. He's running. The dude's 35-year-old, 250-pound quarterback. And he's somehow putting his body on the line, finding ways to run. He You could tell he wasn't even thinking. That's the thing we say about Ben. He can get a little bit inside of his head, which was evidenced by the beginning of that game. It really did seem like he was affected by kind of the atmosphere or whatever. But when, he's not like Breeze and Brady who are just machine-like every single solitary no, week. He looked like he was in flow. But when he gets in that flow, then you see games like that Colts game with the six touchdowns and 500 touchdown passes, or 500 touchdown or 500 yards, excuse me. And then the game after that with another six touchdowns against Baltimore. Or the game against the no-fly zone, one of the other best defenses in history, where he carved them up for 350 and three or four touchdowns. And then you see the game like he played against the Jaguars. When he ran in the red zone with about two minutes and 20-something seconds left, Runs past the line of scrimmage and then throws the ball like a lateral. He's already he's already five yards past the line. Throws it cross field to Le'Veon Bell on a rope while Ben's on the run. Le'Veon makes one guy miss, scores a touchdown. Steal they kick the extra point. Steelers are down by seven points with two minutes and eighteen seconds left, and we have two timeouts. 
Oh my god, he was transcending the physical plane. He was, it was Steph Curry and Michael Jordan had a football love child who was combined with Serena Williams and Tom Brokaw, the most dominant announcer of the past 20 years. And this guy was out there. I just, I can't so, believe it. And to do it against that defense. Sure. That was the moment for me where I was like, this is a miracle. We're watching a, a football miracle. We've seen a few of those this season. So we were all pumped, primed, two minutes, 18 seconds to go, kickoff. And here's one of the headlines from the day because, listen, some of this is Monday morning quarterbacking or Monday morning coaching, if you will. But the Steelers decided to kick an onside kick and America is outraged at this point because you had two minutes and 18 seconds left with two timeouts. You basically have three timeouts. If you just stop them, you kick the ball deep, you know they're going to run pretty much every time. Now, granted, you hadn't stopped them all day, but the percentages of an onside kick are under 10%. And really, for you, they're under 1% because Chris Boswell, you're, I mean, he's horrible at onside kicks. He's an amazing kicker, but we've seen he's very unsuccessful with his onside kicks. They've made memes of him and how bad they are. I'd have him long snap before I had him onside kick. What was that one last That's right. To behind the Rabona. The Rabona. And to his credit, he did, he did nail it at Rice in college, but I'm sorry, dude. I get it. Mike Tomlin said he didn't want to kick it deep because his defense hadn't stopped them all day. And that it, I don't think that the Steelers had a three and out. They, they had, no, they I had think they had, they had one. They had the four. Yeah, the fourth play would be the punt. But, dude, you just – you that's a no-brainer. You don't onside then. You take your chances. You actually had stopped them a couple times in the drives before when you know they're running the ball up the middle. Their running back is hurt. He's all hopped up on cortisone, tore it all. And – Take your chances with that because you could get the ball back with, like, m- well over a minute we to play. We were due. We were due for an, of a defensive stop. Yeah, take your Law chances with that. Instead, they do a horrible onside kick that doesn't even go five yards. It hits Makedovich, so therefore it gets a penalty. And the Jaguars start with the ball in field goal range. They rush for nine and a half yards on three plays, kick the field goal, and basically ice the game right there. 45-35 with, you know... A little bit over a minute, something to play. Ben still goes down, leads the team to another touchdown as time expires. You know, maybe if the Steelers, they they did leave some time on the clock on that last drive for the Steelers. They might have been able to score with 30 seconds left. A.B. made a catch on the third to last play, and he didn't get out of bounds on it when he had an opportunity. So maybe the Steelers could have scored, kicked an onside kick, and thrown a Hail Mary. But, I mean, still, it was amazing that. Uh, again, the Steelers, Ben drove them down and scored. And this stuff wasn't garbage time. Like, I don't, I, I'm not listening to other podcasts or anything this week because I just can't relive it. But I don't know if people are going to try and make the argument that Ben's yardage and stuff was coming when they're playing from behind and trying to catch up. This is one of the best secondaries we've ever seen. There's no garbage time here. The Steelers were constantly within seven. And when the second half started, whenever the Steelers were down by 14, it was only a couple minutes before they made it within seven. Well, it was a minute 45 left to go. There, there was a scintilla of, ch- of a chance to have a, 70, to have a long play and to score. So You saw the Vikings game years. turned out, yeah. right? Now, obviously, I'm not saying they would have won if they got the ball back with 30, 35 We'd seconds. We had to but, do an onside kick. But that onside kick, yeah, and that would have been the time for it. Not when Mike Tomlin did it. Early in the game, I think everyone can agree that was that was total bonehead. So that's basically the story of the game, guys. There were so many chances for the Steelers to get back in it. 
you witnessed a historic, heroic performance from the offense. I'm not going to call this a silver lining because there's no silver lining for that. The Steelers had it set up. That was their greatest chance at a Super Bowl in recent memory. The past four years in a row, one of the killer bees has gotten hurt either like right before the playoffs or during the playoffs, whether it's A.B., or Le'Veon. You had everybody, you had every single player except for Ryan Shazier, who would have come in really freaking handy, but everyone's got some someone injured. Every player played in that game. Gilbert got hurt during it, but I mean, he was only a starter for half the season anyways. The stars were seriously aligned here. Just a massive opportunity missed. Super disappointing. But, um, like I said, I'm not going to call it a silver lining, but there is a piece of good news, and it's great news, is that Ben did say in his press conference after that he's coming back to play next year. If he doesn't, we can sue him, though. We can definitely sue him. Let's go into the grades of the game. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We're going to do sort of a cursory review, but um, we want to continue to indulge ourselves in the pain that was yesterday. We'll start with the offensive grades. Offensive grades. Listen. 545 total yards against one of the best defenses we've seen in the past 10 years, possibly ever. 462 of those passing, only 83 rushing on, what, 16 attempts. Third down, 7 for 16. Red zone, 3 for 3. Unbelievably clutch plays needed. They made those when they needed. Scored the second highest number of points on the Jaguars this year. San Francisco scored 44, but some of those were off of a defensive touchdown, so really it was the most that they've done ever. Two Giant blips on the radar are the interception that Ben threw at the beginning in our own red zone, the fumble for the touchdown, and then I'm not going to really include the little lull in the beginning, in the middle with the punts. But the the turnovers, we got to dock the offense for that. I mean, because it really did play a factor in the game. But wow, what an unbelievable performance by a bunch of Steelers legends there. The offense gets a grade of A. So moving in, speaking of Ben, Ben 37 for 58, 469 yards. Five touchdowns. You're actually giving him six because you wouldn't like to count that lateral. That's right. Pass, but that was a throw. Responsible for six touchdowns, one interception. He uh, he ambulated for. I mean, I think I have to highlight that, <laughs> the first down he ambulated for. Yeah. Where's your Where's your Jaguar speed when Ben Roethlisberger can run for a first down? That's How right. How many yards did he go? Eight. At least eight. Yeah. Took him about an hour to get there. One of the best games I've seen from a playoffs, uh, from a quarterback in the playoffs. I think one of the best games anyone's ever seen by a quarterback in the playoffs, and people are going to forget well, about it. It's unreal the windows he put the ball into. Yeah. The windows that actually had a hand going through them, too. While yeah. I mean, credit to both Ben and, and his receivers. The guys catching today. The passes. But Ben put it where it had to be, the only place it could have been. And uh, we were rewarded in points, but unfortunately, the other side of the field was not uh, supportive. We gave Ben, because of the fumble and interception, we downgraded him from an A++ to an A. Yep. Uh, just real quick on the running back, Le'Veon Bell only got, he got the same exact amount of touches he got in the first Jaguars game. This time he had one more carry. He had 16 carries, and then he had nine catches. 88 yards and a touchdown on the receiving, and... He had 67 yards on the ground for 4.2 yards of carry. He got 155 yards of production and that unbelievable TD catch that he had. It's beautiful. Le'Veon Bell being Le'Veon Bell. Please pay the man. He gets a grade of A+. Antonio Brown showing no vestiges of an injury that he suffered three weeks, four weeks, three weeks ago. Four weeks ago. 
Seven receptions for 132 yards and two, two touchdowns. touchdowns. Neither one of which any immortal could have gotten, let alone having two of them in a game. 23 yards and 43 yards respectively against one of the premier defensive backs in the NFL. Yeah, Boye. Antonio yeah, he, Brown, unsurprised. Did you want to add anything to that? Is no, that was it. I mean, you could. I think you could almost tell he was hurting because you didn't see him quite as much throughout the course of the game, but... How do you have more of an impact than 132 yeah, and two gorgeous touchdowns? Until the last, the last play. Yeah, that's it. You know what AB gets. A plus. So we'll move on to the other wide receivers. Not quite the prolific number of receptions. Juju three for five, but he did have a touchdown. Martavis had uh, two catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. Beautiful he, Eli uh, was kind of cement this guy. I thought he had some really key catches during the game. Five for 42 yards. Yeah, he had Eli actually had a good game until he went out. I think he left the the stadium on crutches, but they just didn't really get quite enough production. But that Martavis catch alone is enough to get them a good grade. But 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 that's not usually what that's not what we're used to seeing from those guys. So they're gonna get a grade of B. Offensive line seemed to control the line of scrimmage pretty well. We again note that we only had sixty-seven yards of rushing, but that was on sixteen carries. Good protection for Ben. He great he was, protection. He was sacked two times by the premier defense in the NFL. Yeah, those were he was holding the ball a little bit on those. That's fine. That's the only way he could get people open on that great secondary. He's got to hold it sometimes. Thought the offensive line held up great. Give him an A. Yep. Tight end. Vance McDonald. Big day. That's something to look wow. forward to next year. Hopefully, really, he has come on. We we he was he is injury prone. He's quite injury prone. He made us a little nervous with his hands at the beginning of the season, but man, that guy has come on. Yeah, he did drop two during that game, but the the damage he did in a positive sense outweighs that damage otherwise. Yeah, ten catches for 112 yards, played a lot more than Jesse James did. That will be a that'll be a great thing if he can stay healthy and the Steelers want to re-sign him. Having Jesse as a number two is kind of where he belongs, and looks like Ben and Vance have developed a rapport and. That guy, he can move. He is fast. So we're going to give them a grade of A. Let's move on to the defensive grades. Or should I say, grade. Defensive grades. Our defense gave up 378 total yards. 208, four, sorry, 214 passing, 164 rushing. Uh, Jack, Jacksonville was 8 for 14 on third downs. So for we didn't 14. Touch, oh, we did touch Bortles. Oh, yeah. Zero sacks. Uh, we hit him four times purportedly. Only one tackle for loss, and I believe is that the kneel down. At that the was end the, of the half? fumble, I think, when he fumbled his own snap. Ah, the fumble at the own snap. I guess we don't get credit for him kneeling at the end of the first half. We don't. Uh, that would have helped the statistics for the defense and maybe raise him to a F minus minus. But you guys, most this points is, allowed this year. This is not hyperbole. That is one of the worst defensive performances you could ever see by a team in that in that situation, in the playoffs. Okay? You have to understand how bad Jacksonville's offense is to realize how letting them... We're just going to say they let them score 31. We'll give them the pass on the 14 because obviously the fumble return, they didn't have any control over that. And then the, the, uh, the pick was at the Steelers' own 18-yard line, so... I'll, I'll wipe that off the board, although it would have been nice of you to hold them to a field goal because they suck, and that's possible. But I can't reiterate how bad the Jacksonville offense is and how bad the Jaguars quarterback is. They would be negligent to keep Blake Bortles as their quarterback next year. If they get anyone else, if they get Tyrod Taylor, God forbid if they get Kurt Cousins, then I'm terrified for what that team's going to do because they'll be the best team in the whole NFL if they get anyone even competent at quarterback. Okay? They're horrible. 
and the Steelers got embarrassed and run out of the building by them. And on so many of the plays, if they weren't getting overpowered, they were just, they weren't even getting outfought. It wasn't like the Patriots running these difficult schemes. They just can't even cover people in, in, in the most basic of zones. So many of those giant plays, like the one we noted about TJ Yeldon, 40 yards on third and five in the fourth quarter to win the game. Nobody on him, nobody even within the frame. This was an absolute abomination by the defense. This is not hyperbole. They get a grade of F. F. I'm going to take the host prerogative and I'm going to truncate this conversation. We're not going to torture ourselves position by position. We give everybody an F, but particularly disappointing for me was the defensive line. Seven tackles, no sacks. It felt like they were, as I said at the, earlier in the, the podcast, getting pushed around by Jacksonville. So where I kind of expect the lack of containment and a lack of uh, pressure on, I'm sorry, pressure, coverage on some of those long passes, defensive line was, was very disappointing. So let's move into the coaches' grades. Coaches. Coaches grades. Let's just start with Keith Butler. All I have to say is that we've been saying it or suggesting it really since halfway through the year. One game doesn't change your mind, but this is now a three or four. This is a three year sample size. He's got to go. There's no way that you can keep this guy after, even if you take this playoff game out of the equation. These coverage busts, they've been happening since the day he became the defensive coordinator. Remember when Gronk scored three touchdowns in the first game of the year a couple years ago with nobody on him anytime? And then what Gronk did to us this year. And then even worse than what Gronk did, and even like even worse than that was what the Houston Texans did running on us with none of their players playing. And then what the Browns did a week later. The writing was on the wall for us Steelers fans, and maybe we got to admit that the Steelers weren't as good as a team as we thought. Maybe you didn't realize how bad this defense was, but that's what we've been saying for the, the past few weeks is that this defense is abominable. They're terrible, and this guy has a big part to do with it. The defensive game plan, I just can't believe there are so many people running wide open, and you just let Jacksonville, who is a very one-dimensional team, do exactly what they wanted to do the whole time. Can't develop your players. Keith Butler, F. Minus. F. I was going to give him a G. Give him a G. I don't think we prepared that soundbite. I don't think we prepared the F minus soundbite, too. But, you know, you guys get the point. You want to go to Todd? Toddy. He, um, uh, I think he did a, he did a very good, he's kind of a masterful game I do, too. People aren't, gonna like to, people aren't no. going to like to hear that because of the fourth and one calls and stuff like that. And like we said before, that did look like it was an audible from Ben, but... I'm sorry, man. You just scored 42 points against one of the best defenses in history. The play calling was varied. He does such a good job getting Antonio open. He like just he should be retained and praised for the sheer number of shovel passes he's worked in this offense. They've all worked all year. I think there's one that didn't work, and they're more creative, and they look different every single time. It, there's all these reports that he's not going to be in Pittsburgh next year, and they're going to let Randy Feetner, the quarterback coach, take over. I would hate to see that because, like I said, Butler has to go. And Cardinal Lake, the secondary coach, has to go. And you got to think about letting Joey Porter go, too, because these outside linebackers and secondary guys, we have high picks invested in them. They haven't done anything at all. They haven't improved. We need to get someone in there to teach these guys. James Harrison. Yeah, well, he's... He'll uh, be a bill. He has a couple more weeks of work, I guess, I now, which is really great to see. But 
Yeah, um, Todd Haley, every once in a while he gets a little bit cute. That is what I'll say. It would be nice to see us just be able to plow ahead for a one-yard gain. He gets cute. But that guy has a lot of great play designs. People getting the ball all over the field, keeping Ben upright with blocking schemes and stuff like that. Um, but he did get kind of cute on some of this stuff, particularly the beginning of the game. I think he dug us in a hole with some of that play calling. And then some of the fourth down stuff was a little goofy. So we're going to give Todd a grade of B. Which brings us to our final grade of the season, the big man, Mike, Tom Mike Tomlin. Um, like I said before, rust is real. And that combined with the fact that there is purportedly friction between Haley and Ben, and that has something to do with uh, Haley's supposed departure from the Steelers, if that happens. Right. That's that is head coaching. That's head, that's the head coach's job to stave off and to make sure relationships are working. And the fact that uh, Keith Butler wasn't fired today, as far as I know. Yeah. So somebody's not making a quick decision, and somebody hasn't been thinking about this. Yeah, and again, I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think you're just firing from that. I think you're firing from the whole crappy body, body of knowledge. work that they've had for three years. They've never at one point been good. And like we pointed out on Steelers Outpost earlier in the season when their defensive rankings were high, we were saying this is probably a mirage. We want to give them a benefit of the doubt, but the level of quarterbacks they played weren't just bad. They were horrid, the people they played. Glennon, Bortles, Kaiser. I mean, uh, Keenum in his first start, you know? So... Man, he's got to go. Mike Tomlin, there have been reports, you know, so many Pittsburghers are unhappy and they want Tomlin fired. And there's always this group of people who always want Tomlin fired for some reason. And I got to say, that's not the case, man. That's ridiculous. We're not going to say that. To get your team to this level, the 13-3, and, and to get them in the playoffs and have them be the Super Bowl contender every year, that's the head coach who's doing a great job. And you could say it's just because the Steelers have such unbelievable talent, but who do you think is a big hand in getting that talent in there? you got to give them a lot of credit for what they're doing. But right now, that game has changed some things. I'm not saying he needs to be fired. He better not be fired. He absolutely needs to be the coach next year. He's the man. But these playoff failures during this Killer B era, that's alarming. I mean, this whole season was defined by the heartbreak and just the beatdown of the Patriots game in the AFC Championship last year. Now you're going into this next season with this? And you're wondering about if Le'Veon Bell's going to come back. You know, you have the perfect freaking health. I don't know who you're going to call to improve this defense, but it, there's a lot of questions there. So now it's kind of looking Andy Reid-ish with like, man, you just you can't get it done in the playoffs. And only a few coaches can, right? But only a few coaches have had the, these type of opportunities. It was one of the worst Steelers losses in history. You're the coach. He gets a grade for this game of F. So we uh, conclude our final podcast of the season, which brings us into a depressing 30 weeks of <laughs> you guys, nothingness. Go and listen to some happy music after this. Maybe you're like the kind of people though, who like to listen to Morrissey and sad music after something bad happens to you. You can just wallow with us because that's what's happening right now. Maybe if we recorded this three days from now, I'd be able to take a slightly sunnier outlook. But I just want to let you guys know what occurred and what you watched what you saw because it was greatness greatness mixed up with the bottom level of hell well this has been very cathartic uh things are pointing up next year yes that is what i was gonna say we will end on a like ben is coming back all everybody's coming back the big question mark is Le'Veon bell i do think Le'Veon bell is essential for this team's success i do not think they have 
a great Super Bowl. I think they have a Super Bowl chance even if Le'Veon Bell isn't on the team. Just look at the talent you have around you, and if you could get someone decent at running back. You know, Kareem Hunt came out in the third round for the Chiefs. You could get someone like that. You have a chance. But to me, with where this defense is at and how much I think they can improve or not, you need super megastars, legends, killer bees on offense. So let's hope they find a way to franchise him and that he doesn't actually retire. But you got a lot of guys back. The Steelers are going to be back next year. Speaking of being back, thanks for everybody for hanging out this long on this episode. Uh, we're going a little long today, but you know we are trying to work out a lot of emotions. Thanks for being with us all season. We will continue to put out a podcast every Monday. There is still a lot to talk about and a lot is. to look forward to. Hey, and <laughs> we're not going to talk about this now because this is too mad, but it is amazing watching legends do their thing. It just sucks that it got squandered today. The Steelers will be back next year. You can count on that. They'll be led by big number seven. Thank God. So big shout out to our listener in Croatia. We added we added somebody from Croatia. If you're out there and listening this time, please send us a an email to SteelersOutpost at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at SteelersOutpost. Mm-hmm. We have a website, SteelersOutpost.com. You can leave a message there. We'd love to hear from you, whether you're an expatriate like we are, expatriate from Pittsburgh, that is, or somebody who's really interested in the NFL from Eastern Europe. Love to hear from you. Love to hear from everybody, actually, because... We now have listeners worldwide. Such a thrill. Pretty cool, yeah. I actually went to the gym today and saw two young guys with pit jerseys on. And uh, they were lifting at 6 in the morning. Nice. Looking like Pittsburgh men. Well, yep. turns out one of them's actually from Philadelphia. But he did commiserate. And uh, I told him, I'm sorry, I still can't root for you. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Anyway, uh, here we aren't going. But we will be back <laughs> next week. We have a lot planned for this. Yeah, uh, we, we have a lot of interviews planned for uh, the upcoming offseason, obviously along with some draft analysis. Go Vikings for the rest of this season, guys. We don't want Brady to get that extra ring, and we don't want anything good to ever happen to Jacksonville. So here we go. Come on, Keno. You can do it. Thanks, everybody. Go Steelers, everybody. We'll talk to you guys later. Okay, bye-bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget.
To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.